middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we are supposed to be, bringing you into yet another football season. Yeah, baby, it's back. I might be football hate guy. I am okay with football taking hibernation when it is all over in February or March, but damn am I glad that it is back on the Keeper of the Games podcast. Episode 101. We're changing things up a little bit here in the middle of the summer. We took about a month off, so we might as well do it now. We're actually going to change how we do seasons. We're lined up for another season. We are bringing you content all the way through the end of next college basketball season. So we thought, why align with the calendar? Our work aligns with the sports year. So Blake Cripps and Tommy Castor, we are signed up for another season of the Keeper of the Games podcast, sports in and around and of interest to Wichita. Talk Kansas. Tommy, I know that there is a lot to look forward to on the sports calendar, but dang, do we have a lot to talk about on this show to get set for college football. I don't remember the last time I was this excited to do a show. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about there. It's, it's almost like Christmas Eve in anticipation <laughs> of Christmas morning, like to to get up and open up those presents. That's the way that it feels right now with, you know, knocking on the doorstep of college football, the NFL just around the corner. It feels real now that the preseason is done and that rosters are set for teams around the league. And the fact that we've been off for a month, I'm super excited to be back here on the show with you. I'm excited for another season. Probably the smartest thing we've ever done was to say, you know what, let's go ahead and start a new season with the Agreed. start of a new football season. It just makes oh. sense. Oh, so good. Uh, there is so much to get to on the show today. And we may go long today. Well, I make no promises. We try to get an hour, but there's so much to pack in. But the place where you can unpack it is cogsports.com, facebook.com slash keeper of the games. And of course, at cogpod on Twitter, cogpod.podomatic.com. And the videos on YouTube posted to Facebook, of course. And the audio is pretty much everywhere. iHeartRadio, Google, Apple, so many other choices to get your audio. So please do follow Follow, like, share, and subscribe if you like the content. We do appreciate it. Coming up on the show today, Kansas State football, KU football, a complete college football preview for the in-state schools that matter. We'll also preview Wichita State volleyball, which is off already to a great start in their early season, a 2 and one start for the Shockers. More coming up as they look to a return to form. We've also both got, I believe, Tommy, I caught in the uh, camera, Chiefs gear, we're going to lead off, you know, we're going to divide our listeners when we talk Kansas State and KU. I thought we'd bring everybody together to start the show, but that's not what we're starting the show with. We have big news. We already announced it on social media that Thomas Castor is the newest host on the morning show KFH in Wichita. Wanted to say congratulations. You can hear Tommy now 9 a.m. every morning right here in the Air Capital on 97.5 FM, 1240 a.m. Uh, Tommy, congratulations to you on being the new co-host of Sports Daily. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I sort of, um, I, I think I sort of stumbled into this role. Like <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't set out to be a, a sports talk show host by any stretch of the imagination. But have you done sports talk before? 
You've been you have been on the air before. I've been on the air before. I did a lot of music. Um, yeah, I mean, you were did, on with us at ninety two seven The Blast, which would be the last place that people may have heard you right, right. on ninety two seven The Blast. I was on Channel nine six three in Wichita for a long time. B ninety eight one hundred two one The Bull. I mean, I was on those, those family of stations for a long time. The iHeart Radio iHeart Radio uh, group of stations in Wichita. That was where I spent the bulk of my career. Um, I did sports radio in college. I hosted a show. I did some play by play I think really the closest thing in sports that I had done up until this on actual broadcast radio was there was one season and this was like this is going to date me this was 10 years ago I remember you telling me about this I think 2012 I did play by play for the Vipe magazine high school football game of the week (laughs) and so and I didn't really know I mean I followed a little bit about high school football in Wichita but we had a different game every week around the city league and suburbs and all of that. We traveled around. We did play by play. Uh, and that's the closest I did it one year. I must not have done a very good job because I did not get invited <laughs> back uh, the next year. But I, it was fun for that one season. But no, I, I sports radio was not really like a like a long term goal for me. But I've always enjoyed talking sports. I I I. I'm so thrilled to be back in, in broadcast radio for even a, a smidgen because um, that's my passion and my love, and it always has been. So it's fun to get back into that. It's fun to team up with Jacob Albrocht. You know, I'm, I'm filling the seat of Bruce Hurdle, the legendary Bruce Hurdle, who started uh, Sports Daily 20, more than 20 years ago. Um, and he segued off to another uh, another opportunity in Denver. Uh, and I just so happened to luck my way into that seat. So I'm really excited about it. Um, and really, I credit Keeper of the Games. Um, I credit being on with you every week or every other week, however often we do the show, and being able to really express sports, talk about it in a meaningful sure. way, in an entertaining way. And it was important to me to make sure that if I was going to do that gig, that I didn't give this one up because um, this has been so much fun and I, I enjoy doing it. So I'm glad that we are continuing on for another season. Yeah, no problems uh, with Intercom or Odyssey or whatever name they're going by today. They are totally on board with us keeping to do this. And so we are going to keep it rolling. Congratulations again to you, Tommy. Let's go into something I'm sure you're going to be talking on your show a lot about if you haven't already the Kansas City Chiefs getting set to defend their AFC championship from a couple of years ago of course a disappointing end to the year it looked like it was Super Bowl or bust for the Chiefs again last year but they came up a game short blowing a 21-3 halftime lead against the Bengals but still you look at this team and this franchise and where it is in totality because I know that you have been are are the Chiefs your is that your number one like I love KU football I love KU basketball KU football basketball are my number one things even God, it's hard for me to put anything above the Chiefs, but like for the Royals, like those three things are way above the Royals. Is Chiefs football, is that your, like, if you have to drop dead or give up everything but one sport, is the Chiefs what you're keeping? Yes, 100%. Um, It goes Chiefs, then it probably goes the Atlanta Braves in baseball. Uh, Wow, that that, that hurts a little bit. Then probably the Jayhawks. Uh, that's probably the order. I mean, I, I love the Jayhawks, so. but Freaking man, I've Braves. been a Braves fan since I was five years old. Um, and yeah, so that continues I, and I remember. Um, well, so, as, so you've been here for yeah. this portion of the franchise. You've been a lifelong Chiefs fan, sure, just like I have. You know the trials, the tribulations, the times when our hearts were actually 
ripped out of our chest. We were cut open. It was put into a blender. You look at where this team is right now as we enter in 2022-2023, and understandably, the end to last season was not acceptable. It was disappointing. It was a failure. The last two quarters were an absolute utter disgrace. But still, the Chiefs have made seven straight appearances in the playoffs, eight of nine with Andy Reid, four straight trips to the AFC title game or better, six straight AFC West crowns. It is unquestionably a great time to be a Chiefs fan. Obviously, the Chiefs left something on the table, at least an opportunity to play for another Super Bowl last year, a very disappointing second half against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. But Tommy, when you look at things on the whole, seven straight 10-win seasons, eight of nine, it is clear to me that the Andy Reid and Hunt family plan and that partnership, it is obviously working. Yeah, I had the opportunity to talk today uh, to Dan Israel from the Chiefs Radio Network a little bit. Um, about wow, now the, he's going to name drop right? on How about me? that? Wow. And the only reason I, I bring him up and name drop him is because he talked quite a bit about how he feels the chemistry on this team is better than it's been in years. And that even includes the Super Bowl winning team of, of three years ago. Wow. And so to me... I think that that's something to really keep an eye on. There were distractions last season. Like it or not, there were. There were contract distractions. There were distractions with Tyreek Hill's deal. There were distractions with Tyron Matthews' deal. There were distractions when you got to right at the beginning of the offseason, and we discussed it somewhat on this show, uh, um, distractions with Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and was there a rift and were they getting along there were a lot of distractions going into the the offseason and I feel like a lot of those distractions are now gone and I don't want to discount what Tyreek Hill brought to the team I certainly don't want to discount what Tyron Matthew brought to the team but we're not dealing with their contract situations anymore uh you know Tyreek Hill has made comments in the offseason about Tua Tagovailoa being a more accurate quarterback than Patrick Mahomes, and how okay. he feels, and he feels like the Chiefs took him out to the trash. And Teron, yeah. Math, you know, Teron yeah. Matthew signs with New Orleans, and you know, had talked about how he felt like he deserved a a, a, a big contract from Kansas City. Maybe he did. I don't know. That's it's sure. in the past. But those distractions are now gone. So my point being is that the chemistry is is there. The distractions are gone, and I think the only the only thing that might be something that would be a downgrade on Kansas city is that if you look at their personnel, did they get demonstrably better this off season or did they stay the same? And I think that they stayed the same by and large. I don't, I don't even know they're, they're a great team as it is. They're a dynasty, but the other teams in the AFC, it's an arms race in the AFC West, especially it's an arms race. Yeah. The other teams in that division all got better Justin Herbert has another year under his belt in Los Angeles and the Chargers are kind of the sexy pick to win the AFC West this year from the national media. The Broncos signed Russell Wilson. That could be a game changer for the Broncos. And sure. then, you know, lest we forget in Las Vegas, Devonte Adams will now be catching the football from Derek Carr. So the Raiders are not a bad team. Not at all. Not at all. And I would argue the AFC West is the most stacked division in all of the NFL. Not even the second place is not even close right. and not so even close. You, you look at that, you look at the, the competitiveness in the division, 
Then you look at the Chiefs' schedule, which is absolutely brutal. brutal. It's brutal. Uh, How'd this that, happen? That that's a that's the only knock. The only downgrade, I guess, is that the Chiefs did not stock up. Like they they didn't reload like the other teams in their division did. And they didn't need to necessarily, but there were high profile, I, I guess if you want to call Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster like bombshell acquisitions. I don't know when you're in the same division and Devontae Adams joins your division rival. I'm not sure those two things really equate to one another. But at the end of the day, that's the only downgrade is that the other teams in the division got much better on paper and the Chiefs schedule is absolutely brutal. Obviously, the Chiefs have been in the top six in offense in both points and yards every year under Patrick Mahomes. But last year, the Chiefs did give up the six most yards in the league while having the eighth best scoring defense. Defensive quality rating was above average for the Chiefs, but it was down from 2020 and 2019. Unfortunately, we give Andy Reid and the Hunts and the you know couple of general managers that they've had a lot of credit and deservedly so, but... You know, statistically, the Chiefs' defense has steadily declined in the Andy Reid era. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily not by design because you and Noah and I both know this is an offense-first league. This is a quarterback league, a passing league. So maybe you need to invest in your offense to win. And it worked. The Chiefs won a Super Bowl. But a 12-5 and campaign for the Chiefs in 2021. What's your outlook and what's your takeaway from the 2021 campaign for Kansas City that really saw the Chiefs take a lot of bumps and bruises. It was not always pretty. There were some really bad moments early in the season uh, and some games that you just thought that Kansas City should be able to pull out. You go back to the Chargers loss, the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson getting his first win, the Chiefs lose to the Bills, drop a kind of perplexing one to the Titans. Of course, they make the signing and everybody kind of attributes it to Melvin Ingram. And I kind of agree. He comes in, defense gets demonstrably better after that. And the Chiefs certainly go on a huge run. They end up winning eight in a row and what, like nine of 10 or 10 of 11 to go into the playoffs on a nice little hot streak with their only loss being to the Bengals, which ended up getting him again in the AFC championship game. But it was a season where Patrick Mahomes did not have his best year, was probably his worst year. Now, his worst year is still, you know, would be the envy of probably all but what Rodgers, Brady, and, you know, maybe one other quarterback in the league. Maybe so, Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen, sure. Out of those, outside of those three guys, anybody would still want to be Patrick Mahomes. But what is your takeaway from 2021 Kansas City football? Yeah, I mean, I think that Patrick Mahomes. Uh, came down to earth a little bit and not that he, I don't want to say he regressed, but I think that um, sort of came off of that, that Superman consistently all the time kind of thing. And then that was not sustainable. I think it's hard. I think any logical fan would look at that and say, all right, the, the, the superhuman abilities that he had is not sustainable forever, all the time, every game, every quarter, every pass. Like he's still so far in front of like most touchdowns, Four years in the lead, best you know interception to touchdown ratio. He's right. still so far in front of everybody else. But but that being said, what I think it really showed, and I I'm, I guarantee you, Andy Reid saw it, Brett Veach saw it, the coaching staff saw it, was that in years past when Patrick Mahomes was playing at an MVP caliber level, you really didn't need the rest of the team to do a whole lot. Even the defense, like sure. the defense, could give up a ton of points. 
and it, it's okay. Mahomes will take care of it. Uh, and that w- when Mahomes sort of comes down a little bit, then you realize, oh, crap, like we need some other people. We need yeah. some other units to start stepping up. And so rather than the offense putting up incredible, insane numbers and the defense hanging on for dear life, that's not sustainable long term. And so there needed to be improvement on the defensive side of the football more than anything else. And and granted, the offense is going to change with a completely revamped wide receiver room and some new faces in the running back room backing up Clyde Edwards Elaire, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. We will. But on the defensive side of the ball, I think that's the one area where the Chiefs did get better. I think maybe their offense leveled off a little bit going into this season, maybe not quite as explosive without Tyreek Hill. Um, and with, with Travis Kelsey being another year older, I think maybe their offense comes down a, a peg, but I think their defense has come up a couple of pegs, which is good. I mean, really, that's where the Achilles heel has lied. And you look at the front four, you look at the the opportunities for the defense to get to the quarterback outside of Chris Jones. He's really the only guy that's ever been able to get to the quarterback in that existing defense. They go out, they draft George Karloftis, who is just, he's got just a motor on him. That is, I think there's not another defensive rookie that has that kind of motor. Um, and so it's, it's great that he's part of the, the, the fold there defensively for Kansas city. And then they went out and they revamped their secondary a little bit. Juan Thornhill is, is back, but they've got some new faces in there. And it seems like this defense is, is younger. They're faster they're more athletic than the defense that was on the field in 2021. We're going to get to that defense, but we'll start with the key departures and the key additions. You mentioned a huge change on the offense. A lot of wide receivers gone. Tyreek Hill, Byron Pringle, Charvarius Ward, running back Daryl Williams also gone. He was a big part of the offense. Defensively, Tyron Matthew, Melvin Ingram, Mike Hughes all left. Big additions, Justin Reed at the safety spot, and then on wide receiver in the position there, the couple of three-name guys, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, that are going to be huge this year. I I think for me, the biggest question on offense is going to be Travis Kelsey. Not because he's on the decline, because I don't think he's anywhere close to that, and not because he isn't the best tight end, because I think he is one of the best tight ends. He might be one of the best receivers in football, but there's no question that Tyreek Hill was extremely complimentary to what Kelsey was trying to do, and vice versa. Are there any of those new, are either of those new three-name guys going to come in and provide the same kinds of openings and seams and attention from the defense that Hill did? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure as well that the running game is going to open up things dramatically either. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire took a step back last year in yards per game. He's never played more than 13 games in a season, so I think durability is a fair concern. He did take a big step forward as a receiver, less yards and yards per reception, but his catch percentage was way up. It was like 16% higher. Ronald Jones comes over from at running back from Tampa Bay. Isaiah Pacheco was drafted. We talked about Patrick Mahomes, had his worst season as a quarterback, but still fifth in QBR, 66% completion rating, 4,800 yards, 37 touchdowns, and 13 interceptions, which would be literally a great year for anybody not named Brady or Rodgers on the planet Earth. And the other thing that I like about the offense, there's a lot coming back on the offensive line. We have talked and almost bemoaned, especially back when Weston was on the show, 
Like, can we keep Patrick Mahomes, like, upright for more than two plays? I think that they can do that this year. You've got Orlando Brown Jr. as the franchise tag at left tackle, Andrew Wiley at right tackle, Creed Humphrey, Joe Dooney, and Trey Smith on the interior. Lucas Niang is still questionable with that knee. We don't know when he's going to be back. They're thinking pretty close to week one. Will he be ready to go uh, if he's back and healthy? This could be a very solid O-line and maybe the most solid with the most depth in Mahomes' career. So those are my concerns for this year. What are your concerns and what do you think the strength of this Chiefs offense will be outside of number 15? Well, first off, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the offensive line. Uh, the Two of the best draft decisions uh, I think in the Brett Veach era was Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. You needed to to have high-impact guys that could start right away, but that were also young and versatile. And that's what he got in both Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith in the same draft, uh, which is outstanding. And they both contributed big time to make that offensive line significantly better last season. And I think that will more than likely continue in the next season. So I think that quarterback and offensive line, for sure, offensively, that's kind of where the strengths are. Um, but I mentioned the best draft decisions, and I'm going to go to Brett Veach's what could possibly be his worst draft decision, and that was Clyde edwards Uh they, Wow. They, are you well, throwing I mean, in the towel look, on him? I'm not throwing in the towel, but this is a crucial year. This is a make-or-break season for Clyde edwards Uh He's going into year three. He's a first-round draft pick, and there were a lot of people – and I was one of them when Clyde Edwards Elaire was drafted with that kind of draft capital in the first round, the what the 31st or 32nd overall pick. 32nd overall pick. They were just coming off of a Super Bowl win. You saw how dynamic the offense was, and there were holes defensively for Kansas City. And Brett Veach used the first round draft pick on, on a running back. And I remember being like, look, like I'm I'm sure the guy's a great running back, but we need defensive help. And I was okay with the draft pick, as long as he was able to produce at a level that you would expect a first-round draft pick to produce. He has not done that so far. I'm not saying he hasn't contributed in a positive way, but he not at a level of a first-round draft pick so sure. far. And so year three is a make-or-break year, especially at the running back position where your longevity, you have a small window most likely in most guys do unless yeah. you're Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders or something like that. You have a pretty or Frank Gore for that matter. You How have about a another pretty, Marcus Allen. Can we get sure. the next Marcus Allen? You in have Kansas a pretty, City? Typically a pretty short window to, to make a, a an impact. And so it's there and I, it's, it's on Holmes, the doorstep him for him. Too. If he doesn't produce this year, then I think the chiefs have to look at what kind of return can we get out of him and where do sure. we go, you know, moving forward. So that's a concern for me offensively. I like Isaiah Pacheco. He's a different kind of running back. He's a bruiser. We saw that in the preseason. I think a lot of people thought in the preseason, like before it even started, that Ronald Jones would be the shoe in number two guy. Uh, and Isaiah Pacheco, I played him in the preseason. It took the last preseason game against Green Bay for Ronald Jones. I think he had eight carries in uh, 43 yards in that final preseason game to actually make a roster spot. There were questions going into Tuesday's roster cuts that Ronald Jones might not make the team. So there are some complimentary backs there. It'll be interesting to see how Clyde edwards Lair can produce this year and what the backup situation looks like. And then, of course, at, at wide receiver, you mentioned Juju Smith-Schuster. You mentioned Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We know both of those guys. They are known commodities in the NFL. MVS coming from Green Bay and Juju Smith-Schuster coming from Pittsburgh. We know what they can do. 
what I'm most excited about watching, or I guess who I'm most excited about watching is Sky Moore. Uh, and there's been so much hype about him uh, coming out of the draft and what he can bring to the table. He's not Tyreek Hill. And I think the worst thing that you can do for him is to start having pundits comparing him to Tyreek Hill. He's oh, a different kind unfair. of wide receiver, but he can make an impact. And, you know, uh, on a side note, um, and I'm sure we'll mention it later on in the show, uh, you can start to legally bet in Kansas coming up here in like Hell yeah. 24, 24 hours. And I was looking at uh, the some of the lines for like prop bets, player prop bets. And, and one of them was like rookie receiving yards. And Sky Moore was like the fifth rookie receiver on that list. George Pickens was on there and a couple of other guys. And then it was Sky Moore about who would have the most receiving yards in the league as a rookie. So the the, the possibility is there for Sky Moore to be a volume type receiver for Kansas City. I'd be excited to watch him. And of course, you know, we saw what Justin Watson can do in the preseason. So that wide receiver room is intriguing. It's almost like and I don't want to say these guys are not quality receivers because they are, but it's almost like the Chiefs are going with quantity over quality. Like they want to have a lot of guys in the room Depth. to see who can step up. Sure. Uh, and, and that's kind of, I think, the direction they're going. Defensively, there are going to be a lot of new faces. You talked about depth. Boy, the new guys, there's a ton of new guys. Some old two. Half of the Chiefs' 10 draft picks from 2021 or 2022, however you want to categorize it, draft class, they were used on the secondary. Washington quarterback Trent McDuffie, a surprise slide down to the Chiefs in the first round. Could be counted on early in the season. Rashad Fenton is back, as you mentioned earlier. Justin Reed signed from the Texans to join Fenton, who will stay in the slot. I think that a lot of people want to see, you mentioned the decision to draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm wondering how people are going to feel about the decision to re-sign Frank Clark. Because there was nobody on the Chiefs that you thought, other than maybe Tyron Matthew, but that was for a totally different reason, for a contract, for a financial reason. There were a lot of people that thought Frank Clark, his days as a Chief, were probably done. Is that fair? Is it unfair? He's made three Pro Bowls. Does that mean anything? He's been fairly durable. The last three seasons, he's played at least 14 games, but he has just not been the disruptor in the passing game that he was in Seattle. Seattle, after his rookie season, he had three years of at least nine sacks, and during that time, he ended up going for 32 sacks. He doesn't have 32 sacks in three years as a Chief combined and he's never gotten 10 as a chief he had four and a half last year only 22 tackles now he did get quite a few hits on the quarterback his quarterback hits have been fairly productive compared to seattle he had three straight seasons after his rookie season at least 18 quarterback hits at 27 in 2018 he's had three straight with the chiefs of at least 14 ranging between 14 and 17 how much of that is the fact that there are a lot of rules now that make it not as helpful to hit the quarterback? You have to be a lot more careful. So I do give him a little bit of a pass on some of that. But Frank Clark was a guy that could have freed up a lot of capital for the Chiefs financially. It was decided we're going to bring him back. He's 29 years old. Theoretically, he could have a lot of really good seasons coming up. I mean, there are a lot of defensive ends that have played well into their 30s, even into their late 30s. They have been productive, been able to get in. Maybe he's not going to be able to do this 
down in and down out. Maybe he will start to have to play some plays off. Maybe he's going to be more in on first down, come out second down, come in on obvious pass plays, certain blitz packages. I don't know how they're going to use him. But what I do know is that the last three years, in terms of sacks, have not been nearly as productive as his first four years. I want to see what Frank Clark are the Chiefs getting? Are they getting the Seahawk Frank Clark? I would sign up for that in a heartbeat. If they're getting the Chiefs Frank Clark, I think this might be a mistake. They're not getting the Seahawks Frank Clark. Then uh, why did we re-sign him? I mean, Seahawks, I say we. Why did they re-sign him? Seahawks Frank Clark would have shown up by now if he was I, going to. I, I still, to make I still invite him to show up at his earliest convenience. He, he's we have not, better barbecue here. He's come not, on down. <laughs> He's not going to, but I don't think it's <laughs> why. But I don't hold on. Hear me out. I don't think it's the All end. Right. Of, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, I think that it's partially who else is around Frank Clark, and I, you hit the nail sure. on the head. I think that in in certain situations, Frank Clark can be a high impact defensive player for Kansas City, but he's not an every down high impact defensive player for Kansas City. He's not Chris Jones. And I think that that was ultimately when he came over from Seattle, I think the fan base saw him as the, the clone of Chris Jones and that the two of them could do the exact same thing on opposite sides of the ball and just be dominant. And that's not what Frank Clark is right now in his career. Not right now. It might have been what he was to an extent in Seattle, but that's not Frank Clark now. So I think what was important was Brett Veach making that decision. Hey, we're going to bring him back. But then who else are we going to put around him to compliment him and make it so he can be in situations where he can find the most success? And that's why I go back to George Karloftis and what he brings to the table. Um, And when you're able to compliment Frank Clark with George Karloftis or substitute Frank Clark with George Karloftis, that makes Frank Clark ultimately better. I think it, it it highlights his strengths and it gives him the opportunity to produce at a high level in the situations that best suit him. So I get it. And I, I don't get me wrong. I think ultimately, in my opinion, might have been better to cut bait and figure out something else. And I think free, you and, and I free, were on the same page on and, that. Yeah, and free up that that cap space. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that, but that's not what happened, and we're now in a situation with Frank Clark on the roster. So how do you prop him up to make him the most successful? I think of guys, and, and of course, Frank Clark is, is still quite a bit younger than these guys were when they were on the Chiefs, but I think of guys like Derek Johnson and Justin Houston and Tamba Holly. They they were getting up there in age, and they they had regressed. It, but the, it wasn't like the Chiefs just ultimately. I mean, they did ultimately cut these guys loose, but let them play <laughs> for a couple of years. But and they were good. Find, they were, but, but they weren't the problem. But they found ways to make them successful. Maybe not playing yes. every down. Maybe not playing every package. Putting them in. I mean, like you knew, like the last year or two that Justin Houston was on the team, that he was going to come in in certain blitz packages when he could get on the edge and he could get to the quarterback. That was a lot of times the only time you would see him. Or even if, even if he was on the field, other situations, he wasn't making much of an impact. So I think that's what you have to do with Frank Clark: is find the best situations, the best packages, and the best times and the best downs to make him as successful as possible. 
Special teams, not really anybody who excites me as a playmaker right now, even though that's been part of the Chiefs' DNA, going back to Dante Hall, it's big special teams plays. But Harrison Butker and Tommy Townsend may be the best kicker pair in the league. The schedule, as we mentioned, is just asinine, stupid, lava-like hell, Mount Vesuvius, going to Mordor with a ring, terrible, awful, hard. It's ridiculously difficult. Chiefs open up. On September 11th at the Arizona Cardinals, they've got, in non, in terms of their non-AFC West games this year, they've drawn the Colts and the Buccaneers on the road. They're going to San Francisco, Bills, Titans, Jaguars at home, and then the Rams at home as well. Houston on the road, Seattle at home, and then, of course, the AFC West gauntlet that we believe that that is going to be. Tommy, are you comfortable making a win total prediction for this Chiefs team above or below 10 wins is where I'll set the over-under. And do they make the playoffs? Do they win the West? Uh, so the actual line, if you're curious, is... I am curious. I would love to know. To my understanding, the last time I checked, this was like a few days ago, the over-under win total for Kansas City was 10 and a half. Uh, that was yes, it is actually that, that according the, to Bed MGM yeah. minus one fifteen on the money line. Um, so I was I was in the I was in the I was in the uh, in the stadium. Yeah, so ten and a half is the over under. That is such a difficult number. Oh, it's a very uh, good number for I the mean, casino. That's that's why they do it, right? But that is such of course, of course. That's such a difficult number. Um, and if I, if there was a first off, let me just say. I'm not taking either. Like, I'm not gonna bet. I'm not gonna bet that line. Uh, sure. When if I you can had actually to. bet it, if I, but if there was a gun to my head and I had to pick, um, I'm, I'm gonna stick with what I said on Sports Daily. Uh, I'm I'm going the under. Uh, I think that really. I think that the Chiefs. I think it's more likely that they go ten and seven than twelve and five. Uh, or that, pro- and that might miss the playoffs. I, I think it's with and I'm I'm only going solely on their schedule. I think ten and seven. <laughs> it's stupid. It's the a stupid schedule. And the only way I'm just going to put this out there, and maybe we can revisit this at the end of the year, and you sure. can tell me how stupid I am and blow the hot take horn, whatever. So get the hot take horn ready. I'm not, not blowing a net right now, the but only way, mark my words, that the Kansas City Chiefs are winning twelve games or more. Is if they go five and one or six and zero oh in AFC West games. That's the only way. When you look at their schedule, there's no other scenario that I can look at that says to me, okay, you can go four and two, or you can split and go three and three, and still find another nine wins on that schedule. I just don't see that being the case. Uh, I so, like. I like the Chiefs at San Francisco. I like them at Indianapolis. I like the Chiefs against, I like them at Houston and probably against Seattle. They could lose the game to Tennessee. They probably should be Tennessee, but they could lose the game to Tennessee. They they had better be Jacksonville. They, had they could better lose be- the game to Indianapolis. 
They, you know, Jonathan I, they, Taylor they is could. the best running back in the NFL. And they Matt could Ryan lose has to the chip Bills. on his shoulder. They, they could certainly, certainly lose at Arizona. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, it, it, and obviously, I mean, the, the Chargers might win the damn division. Right. They might. Right. They might win. The, I, I don't know if the I Raiders believe that. The Raiders might win the division. The Broncos might win. I'm not suggesting that they will. But I don't think. It's so I just wide don't open. think that the Bronco, like, is Russell Wilson the guy who's going to plug in and all of a sudden make up that much difference? He's a fantastic quarterback, amazing quarterback, probably still a top five deep ball thrower in this league. Would I have him as the number five quarterback? I don't think so, but he's probably in six to ten. So he's going to make a difference for Denver. I, I think he will. He's obviously a proven leader, knows how to win. I mean, there, yeah. there's a very short list of guys that have done what he has, you know, have that have the credentials that he has put up from his time in Seattle. I think that I'm going to go 11 wins, okay, but I would not go 12. Yeah, I will not, take one over. Uh, and you know what? But I'm not ele- going to 12. 11 and six could be in the realm of possibility for sure. But that that thread. When you between, say under, you thinking like 10? Yeah, 10. Like 10 wins? 10, okay. yeah. You're I not think, thinking like seven? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, but that, that, that line between 10 and 11 is so thin. <laughs> it's that I, I'm not willing, I'm staying away from that bet entirely. But I think oh, yeah, that in, in the realm of possibility, it's there that with that schedule and with the division, the toughest in the NFL, I think 10 wins, that's that's where I'm, that's the most comfortable I am as far as a number of wins. I also think your question about winning, winning the division, I don't think they do. I think they, I Chargers? Think a, I, yep, I think they're a wild card team. I think they make the playoffs. They're a wild card team. I hope so. And uh, and I see them getting back to the AFC Championship. Well, seventeen then, game schedule. There, I'll knows? warn you, Chiefs fans. Seven with a seventeen game schedule, ten, win, ten wins ain't all what it used to be yep. back in the day. You can miss the playoffs with ten wins now. We move on to college football previews. There's been so much news about college football. It's actually time to start talking about the games on the schedule that actually matter and we'll begin with the kansas state wildcats tommy it's been a solid three years for chris Kleiman at kansas state eight and five last year four and five of the big 12 obviously a texas bowl blowout of louisiana state the question is when does kansas state start to compete for titles again they have been solid they have been respectable but i think for kansas state fans They're ready for the next step. They're ready to start competing at the top to get in that top three. We thought last year might be the year, and you look at how they did last year, they really could have been there if there would just have been a couple of different results, a couple of different outcomes. So many games last year for Kansas State where they just didn't do one or two things right, and that cost them. Single-digit loss to Oklahoma. Now, that game was a little bit, actually, was far more you know bigger than that because there was a late score by Kansas State. But by the same token, Kansas State put Oklahoma in some very short fields in that game. So defensively, I don't think that Kansas State played that bad. But you look at the loss they had to Baylor. The loss at Texas to end the year was a heartbreaker, and certainly I think they had a chance to make some inroads at Oklahoma State and could not do it. So you look at Kansas State, Tommy, they weren't that far away 
from being where they want to be last year. They come into this season with a lot of new faces as well. Despite having no passing game to speak of whatsoever last year, they were not far away from having a really special year. Departures, three starters gone off the offensive line. Hadley Panzer takes over at center for Noah Johnson. An all-conference Bishop Carroll guy who's now playing in Canada. Big changes to the quarterback position. A solid defense last year. They were tough against everybody, but certainly Kansas State... The question we're going to answer in this segment is, will they take the next step and what is that step? To me, it's getting back in the top three or four in the Big 12. Will they take that step? Certainly, it's not going to be easy. This team will go as Deuce Vaughn goes. There's there's no other Can't doubt Can't not take one I mean, that. He's the best running back by far in the Big 12. He might be the best running back in the nation. Uh, he's one of them. If he's you not, said that last year. If he's not the best. And and the, the one guy that was better than him in the Big 12 was Brees Hall, and he's now in the NFL. He's uh, gone. So, so Deuce Vaughn now has the mantle of the top running back in the, the Big 12 and then nationally. Um, so this, this team will go where Deuce Vaughn goes. But there are some complimentary pieces, and, and Chris Kleiman worked the transfer portal during the offseason. He was able to grab Adrian Martinez, who had an up-and-down career at Nebraska. Um, Nebraska's been a little up-and-down. I don't know if you've been paying attention. <laughs> Nebraska's been a lot up-and-down uh, recently. More down than up. That's very true. Uh, but Martinez has talent. He has athleticism. It just didn't gel right at Nebraska, which not a whole lot is gelling right at Nebraska. You are correct. Um, but ultimately, a fresh start was what Martinez needed. He's gotten it in Manhattan, and he's got the opportunity to sort of rewrite his college career a little bit and and redefine his legacy at quarterback. And that's what Kansas State needed. You know, with, with Skylar Thompson off to the NFL, Will Howard is still there, but it doesn't seem like... Kleiman and his staff are super sold on Will Howard being handed over the keys entirely. I mean, that he, he started some games due to Skyler Thompson's injury last year um, to mixed results, but it, I think it was important for Kleiman to go out in the transfer portal and find somebody, which he did with, with Adrian Martinez. And, and so that will be interesting um, to see how he works under center with the current offense and the, the schemes and the personnel that they have at K-State. But you know what's, what's interesting is that I've read a bunch of different articles from different national prognosticators and people who keep an eye on the Big 12 and take a look at it, whatever. And obviously, they're they're in on Oklahoma. They're in on Oklahoma State. They're in on Baylor. Uh, but then they're also in on Kansas State. And so I think that as time goes on, I think that as the season rolls on, um, there is an opportunity for Kansas State to jump into the to, to jump into the top of the Big 12. Will they finish in the top half? I think that's got to be the expectation. Obviously a bowl game is the expectation, but you're right. I think that being able to take that next step um, does that mean competing for a Big 12 championship? Yeah, I think it's there. That possibility is there for them to take that next step. Then, of course, the next step of you know going and being at the same level in the top 25 as an Oklahoma, as an Oklahoma State, as a Baylor. If they can be in that conversation, uh, I'm not suggesting that they're at the level of Oklahoma by any means, but I think if they can start to find themselves in the top 25 and having those conversations consistently, that's going to be the goal for this year. 
Defense was third in the Big 12 last year, 21 points per game. If the defense can maintain that level, I think Kansas State will once again be in every ball game. There were a number of years when the team, a number of games last year, I should say, where the team gave up a lot of points, but it was the offense putting them in bad situations with three and outs. The, the question mark that I have, you mentioned Adrian Martinez and Will Howard, clearly the backup. Skylar Thompson, I think, stylistically, Adrian Martinez, you would think, would be able to come in and kind of just pick up where he left off. I think that Adrian Martinez will be a better runner of the football than Skylar Thompson was. But last year, there was a complete lack of the passing game. They were 28th, uh, 28 points per game. They were ninth in the league in yards per game a year ago. Do all of these parts really add up to a bunch of extra yardage? I don't know about that. The linebacking core does get a boost from Nebraska with Will Honus, a state champion from Bishop Carroll. Missed all of last year with a knee injury. Leading tackle Daniel Green is back in the middle. It might be the best linebacker core in the conference. That is totally possible. You mentioned Deuce Vaughn, such a huge playmaker for this team. But defenses are going to key on him. And I 100% believe while Adrian Martinez can flat out run the football, this is going to be one of two types of teams for Kansas State. You're either going to have to find something in the passing game to balance things out and keep defenses honest, or they're going to have to go old school, almost a Nebraska style of football with multiple options on the run. Because I do think that with Martinez and Vaughn, you will have two very, very capable runners of the football there that you will have to account for. The problem is that if teams just stack the box, even with as good as this offensive line has been, there's a lot of starters gone off that line. You don't have Noah Johnson back. You have three starters gone. Are the new guys going to be getting off the line and getting their blocks as effectively as last year did? I think there's a big question mark there. So can you really implement that style of football if you don't have that kind of offensive line? I think that's a huge, huge question mark. It really is. And and, and the personnel is is there. What I don't remember what legendary coach said it that it I don't and I'm gonna butcher the saying about it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmies and Joes. Whatever that whatever that quote was. Like you can you can have the scheme in place, but if you don't have the guys to, to actually make it happen, then, you know, you're, you're, you're out of luck at that point. And ultimately Chris Kleiman and his staff are in a position to where developing that talent needs to be there. Um, yeah, they lost some offensive linemen. They lost some pieces, um, uh, you know, offensively and, and through the transfer portal and that sort of thing that, you know, I know are, and I know that's not ideal, right? As you're trying to build this program up and you're trying to figure out exactly what direction you want to take it, but they can have their schemes. They can have their, you know, their philosophies, but they've got to make sure that they've got the right guys and they're developing those right guys on the line because it, it all starts there. And, and so that will be a big thing offensively to keep an eye on the skill players are going to do what the skill players do. Deuce Vaughn is going to get his Adrian Martinez it has been a highly touted quarterback before. He has. So that's that's great 
but what, what, what does it mean in the trenches and how can they set up for great success? One question mark, I think, defensively, because they were good in everything defensively last year, except for one area. They were 123rd in scoring conversions allowed in the red zone. And they gave up touchdowns 63% of the time, which does not scream elite defense to me. There were only two times last year when teams didn't score every time in the red zone. Kansas and TCU. So getting that touchdown percentage down about 10% to 55 or lower, I think is going to be a huge difference. Kansas State opens up the season this weekend. South Dakota, 6 p.m. kickoff at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. That'll be on the plus. They've got Missouri next week. Tulane before starting their Big 12 schedule at Oklahoma on September 24th. Your thoughts Win total for Kansas State. I don't know what the over/under is. As we, you know, I probably should now that we are le- now that it's legal to bet in Kansas. <laughs> We're going to have to get should. into that a little we bit. Probably more. need We're to lean to into that a little the, bit more. The lines I'm, and all that. Yeah, I'm guessing that the over/under. If I had to guess, and I might be able to find it real quick, I'm going to say it's probably somewhere in the seven and a half to uh, probably like eight is what I would say. The over. That's the Blake Cripps over/under is eight. Okay. Over or under for Kansas State. If your over under is eight, then I'm, I think I'm going to go under that. Um, wow, under twice. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at their schedule, and there are certainly opportunities there. I mean, they'll get they'll get a win against South Dakota at home. You would think they'll beat Tulane at home in the non conference. I don't know. I mean, I know Missouri is coming to Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Um, I don't exactly know how Missouri stacks up this year, but I mean, that who knows that that could be an, an interesting game. Um, that might not be a shoe in for Kansas State to win. But then you get into, you know, on the road at Oklahoma. You're on the road at Iowa State. Obviously, you know, the Cyclones took a step down last season, but Matt Campbell, I'm sure, has put together a great program this year. Um, you know, they're, they've got Oklahoma State at home. They're on the road at Baylor. Uh, it, it's it's not an easy schedule for Kansas State. I think seven wins is, is in the, the realm of possibility, I think, seven and five. Although, if you were to ask Chris Kleiman, that's a disappointment of a season. Like sure. He, I'm sure that he would want to have a, a, a much greater step forward. I think it's there. Is it there this season? Maybe. And maybe maybe they win nine, ten games, and we're talking about them in the upper echelon of the Big 12 with an opportunity to have a fairly premier bowl game and maybe compete for a Big 12 championship. I don't know. But I think realistically... Um, you know, you're looking at probably seven or eight wins. Well, the leading sports books have set the regular season wins line at six and a half minus one thirty on the over, plus one ten on the under. So most of the money seems to be coming in on the under at the moment versus the over. I think that I will go over as well. I go over six and a half. Yeah, I think I'm going over six and a half. If I had to pick. I think that they are going to start the season 3 and 0. It's hard to pick them to win if it was Oklahoma in Kansas State in Matt Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Different thought. I think they'll beat Texas Tech, Iowa State, TCU. Boy, Oklahoma State is rough for me as well. Uh I think that I can see 9 wins. Okay. I think that they will lose to Baylor. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Those are the three games that I think that they will lose. I think they can win all the rest of their games. Nine and three. Wow. That or nine wins. That's what I am picking for Kansas State. We've got one more college football preview to get to, and it is the Kansas University Jayhawks. Will KU be able to at least compete 
game in and game out. Now, you've talked about the transfer portal with some of these other programs. KU's transfer class was ranked in the top 25 pretty much as a consensus during this last offseason. And there could be a lot of new faces, mostly on defense. Jalen Daniels, the quarterback apparent. I've seen some articles about other KU quarterbacks. But, Tommy, I will just have to tell you, I will riot. I may not watch another down. If somebody other than number six is under center as the season starts and it's not due to injury, I'm not watching another down of college football this year. I'm, I'm not going to do it because if you believe, I, I just can't, I know that Brian came on your show this week, talked a lot about Jason Bean. Listen, Bean started the first nine games last year. KU's offense was terrible. T-R-B-L, terrible, Charles. It was bad. There was a dramatic difference in the offense with Daniels running it. So God bless Jason Bean. I don't want to hear about Jason Bean or anybody else on the roster at quarterback for the first month of the year. I want to see Jalen Daniels. Jalen Daniels has earned the job. Jalen Daniels should be the guy, and he should be the guy without looking over his shoulder at all. He needs to be the quarterback. He will be the quarterback. Good. I don't I don't think that there's any question about that. I think that there will be scenarios where you might see Jason Bean on the field um, from time That's to fine. time. That's fine. But, but Jalen Daniels, I mean, he was named a team captain. Um, he's Good. going to be the quarterback of this team. And, and what I like about this, kind of along the same sentiments that you have, you have to go back to the days of the one and only Montel Cozart. <laughs> In 2014, 2015, to have a quarterback that was named the starter far before the season started, where he w- he prepared throughout most of the offseason knowing he was going to be the starter. It really hasn't happened since that time. No. Even Carter Stanley, who had solidified himself as the starter that first year, if you'll remember, I think he was named the starter like hours before. And even then the very next, like next season, Thomas McVitie, remember him? He was named as the starter over Carter Stanley. Uh. Um, So this has happened for a while where the quarterbacks don't have a lot of clarity and they don't exactly know who they might know internally. I guess that you probably know more internally than what we know out of the public. But still, not a public declaration from the coach about who the starting quarterback is going to be until right before the season starts or literally in the middle of the season or maybe not at all. Um, so that I think that plays a lot into the confidence level that the coaches have in Jalen Daniels and what he can bring to this team. He absolutely lit a fire offensively underneath this Kansas program towards the end of last season. There were... Some some bright spots last season. I know the obviously the record doesn't show it, but you have to keep in mind, Coach Leipold and his staff got a, a late start. I mean, they didn't Very join late. the team. It didn't join the team until April, uh, and had a short off season to get ready. When you started to see the team click a little bit, was towards the end of the season when they actually finally caught up uh, to to what they were what they were doing in the program that they had. They have a full off season now. I think this team is going to take a step forward. Um, there were, if you think back to it, several games last year where they had teams on the ropes. Obviously, they beat Texas, uh, which was epic. They had Oklahoma on the ropes oh, inside Memorial Stadium with a few minutes to go in that game. And I still contend 
if they blow the whistle on the tackle behind the scrimmage like they do 999 times out of a thousand, KU wins that game. Yeah. So they had Oklahoma. They had Oklahoma on the ropes. They had TCU on the ropes. They had West Virginia on the ropes. They they were conference opponents that the Jayhawks battled against. And so, while it's sad for me to say that we're at a point in this program where uh, being competitive is a is a victory, no, it's really uh, truly it's not. True. But it it does show signs of life. Yeah, the win against Texas was great, but you also look at those other games where they weren't getting, to use your words, blowed out. <laughs> yeah. They've, they've got the opportunity this Blow season to take that next step forward. And so, you know, I had this conversation on Sports Daily about what does progress look like for Kansas? And I think from a win perspective, yeah, three wins, four wins are out there. I think that's that's possible. But it's not just that. It's three or four wins, and it's being competitive in other games. I think that's that's a step forward. 100%. The only thing I don't want to see is one win or zero wins. Right. I think that, that 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 can't happen this year. The bar is low, obviously. KU was the worst offense in the country. Uh, one of the worst offenses in the country. Their leading wide receiver, Kwame Lasseter, is gone. Turns out that he's actually pretty good. All he needed was a competent yeah. quarterback, and oh, he actually catch the football. Offensive line was a mixed bag. They protected Daniels at times pretty well, but the running game was never really consistent at any point. Devin Neal starting running back. There are a ton of running backs in the stable, and Neal showed flashes last year with 700 yards and eight touchdowns. Defensively, you said it would be the worst unit in the country, and they tried. Second worst in tackles for lost, second worst in scoring defense, second worst in third down defense in the entire universe. But a ton of transfers are going to infuse talent on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that the running game for Kansas has to be a priority defensively. KU needs to stop the run. They were gouged last year. They gave up 3,000 yards in the season, 40 touchdowns on the ground, 6 yards per carry, and they gave up over 200 yards on the ground in 10 of 11 games. They, ha- I know that it's a passing league. Big 12 has always been a passing league. But teams knew when you got to Lawrence, you could run the football. That can't happen this year. No, it absolutely can't. But I think that what's really important from last season to this season is to look at what the team has as far as depth is concerned. On both sides of the ball, but especially defensively and that was one thing that, that when I spoke with Brian Haney that he talked quite a bit about was just the depth and, and how behind the eight ball this program had been for so long with a I mean, lack they, of They didn't even have all their scholarships filled. They didn't Not have even people. close to all of them. They didn't, they didn't have bodies. And so what I saw more often than not, and, and this isn't just a last year Lance Leipold problem. This was a problem in the Les Miles era and the David Beatty era going all the way back to Charlie Weiss. It started with him. Uh, where there just was not the bodies to be able to sustain four quarters of football, especially defensively and especially in big 12 play when opponents are going to go on long sustained drives, the defense is going to be out on the field for long periods of time. Then you have an offense that sputters more times than not. And the defense is right back out on the field. And that's why I think in, in large cases, why the running attack 
was so prominent with opponents from Kansas because hey, it's sustained drives and it's it's getting the defense tired and they can't go for four quarters because they don't have the the guys. They don't have the personnel. They don't have a two deep or a three deep to be able to go and make sure that guys are getting spells and, and you can replace them with another competent player. That just, Kansas didn't have that for so long. They've got more of that this season. I'm not saying it's by any means perfect, but it's an it should be an improvement from what we saw last year. So I think that that's a big re- I mean, yeah, the talent level, it's apples and oranges when you're yeah, a, def- a defender for Kansas taking on the offensive unit for Oklahoma, right? Like there's a talent disparity there, but it's also just the number of bodies, the just the wear and tear and not having the depth. And the depth should be something that should be improved in Lawrence this season. The over-under for KU, I would put the Blake line at three. Looking here, it appears that the over-under is two and a half with minus 135 on the over. So they're trying to get you to take the over. Over or under two and a half wins for the Jayhawks this year, and where do you think they'll land? I am all day long hammering the over. You're going to make a play on that. Yep, I think I will. I think I will. I'm actually thinking I might too. Um, I think I think two and a half is well within reach. I think they have the potential. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but they've got the potential to start the season three and one. Uh, they Ooh, can they can knock win. Off the Mountaineers. They can win at home against Tennessee Tech. They, they lost better. by they lost by six points in Lawrence last year to West Virginia. This is not the Mountaineers team of old. Uh, the, the Mountaineers are projected to be at the bottom of the Big 12, not all the way down where Kansas is, but on the lower end of the Big 12. And I know it's tough to play in Morgantown, but they have an opportunity early in the season to knock off West Virginia. They're not going to beat Houston on the road, sure. but then they can they can avenge their loss at home or their loss on the road last year with a game at home against Duke. So there's a potential for three and one in the first four games. Um, I think it's more likely than not. They're going to go two and two. That'd be my guess. But the, the early season is where it it's ripe for the taking for Kansas. It gets much tougher later in their schedule, but I think that I, I think best case scenario is four wins. I think they can, you know, steal, maybe they can steal one in Lawrence against TCU. They tend to play TCU pretty closely. <laughs> they that, do. Could be, that could be an option. You never know what's going to happen with uh, the Longhorns. Texas uh, I, is I, terrible in right. Lawrence in November. They bring right. up their heated benches right. and all their guys are cold. There's a, t- let's just call it what it is. Texas football. Texas is back. No, Texas is soft. <laughs> They're soft. They're soft. Uh, yeah. So the the best case scenario is four wins. I think three is more likely, um, but I'm going to hammer the over. Uh, I am also going to be on the over on that. I think they beat Tennessee Tech. I think they beat Duke. I'm not so sure that they, I, I think they're going to go on the road and beat Texas Tech. That's my okay. prediction. All right. I think they're going to, I'm not that impressed or, or afraid of the Red Raiders personally. So I think that the, that will be the three wins, but I think that they can beat Texas just because, you know, Texas being back, they're going to go, uh, these Texas fans who think they're going to show up in the SEC next year and show them what Texas football is about, you are about to get an eye-opening experience, okay? 
Like the, the Vince Young is not going Ricky Williams. They ain't coming back. They're not going to be on the team. I'm not even sure that Steve Sarkeesian is going to be the coach when they get to the SEC. If he has another year like he did last year where they just basically, you know, coast in November. But November 19th happens to be my birthday. And I can't think of anything that I would want more for a birthday present other than KU beating Missouri than having KU beat the brains out of Texas in the snow in Lawrence on my birthday. I have a I have a request sure. for this for this program moving forward. We're in a brand new season. Um, we need to get the clip of Sam Ellen, Ellinger Ellinger whatever his name was, the former quarterback for Texas uh-huh. after they won that bowl game, and he goes, "Hey Longhorn fans, we're, we're, back. we're back!" But we just need the "we're back" part and just clip it and play it at the beginning of every show. Like, hey everybody, <laughs> we're back! I could do yeah, that. It's my the funniest clip ever because Texas was nowhere near back, I'll, and they I'll, to this day are nowhere near back. I'll get I'll get our I'll get with the uh, keeper of the game's technical director and see how okay. we can we'll see how we can make that happen. So we are both on three wins for the University of Kansas sports betting now that it's legal. Like. I don't want to say how much I'm going to put down. It might be significantly more than $100. Have you? This is a PSA uh, to our listeners, or maybe a PSA to you. Have you downloaded like the different apps? Like, are I have you not on... downloaded a single app. So you have 24 hours to do it. The deadline is the end of the month, um, and it's before we launch September 1st. But FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, all three of them, you sign up for free. You don't have to deposit anything. They're giving you free bets. All three of those apps. You get a hundred bucks in free bets on FanDuel, a hundred bucks in free bets on DraftKings, two hundred bucks in free bets on BetGM, BetMGM. Uh, that's four hundred dollars to just bet for free. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to put it on. No deposit necessary. You just go and do it. Uh, and so I've got all three of those downloaded, and I'm like, man, that's four hundred bucks that I don't have to spend on my own money. All the over. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's actually not, not a bad idea. Uh, another thing that we've got to get to on the show today before we wrap up is to talk Wichita State Volleyball. The Shockers are off to a good start to the season, a winning record for them to begin the year. It has been a little bit of a down stretch for the program, however, for Shocker Volleyball. A long, long stretch of some really excellent sustained success by Chris Lamb. They're going to go defense to turn things around, they've had an uncharacteristically quiet four years. Shockers had previously been to 11 NCAA tournaments in 14 years. Of course, the amazing Sweet 16 run upsetting Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse in 2012. Undefeated season in their debut in the AAC in 2017. But things haven't quite worked out for the Shocks since then. Last year showing signs of moving in the correct direction. 19 wins. First winning league record in four seasons, 13-7. and seven. Fifth-year junior Briley Kelly led Wichita State last year. Three and a half kills per set, 368 kills, hitting 241. Named preseason all-conference with Casey Litzow and Natalie Foster. And I look for Sophia Rowling, who was snubbed massively by the league, to have a big-time year. She was all-conference in 2021. 
The Shockers off to a 2-1 and one start. And this was no cupcake of an event that they went to, the Rumble and the Rockies. They go to the Wyoming Sports Complex. They beat the host team in five sets. They take a set from number 18, Creighton. And then they beat Iowa State in five sets, a team that they have never beaten before, a Cyclone team that was picked third in the Big 12, and a Cyclone team that is not that far removed from being one of the preeminent powers in the Big 12, kind of before KU started to build up that program under Ray Bouchard and usurp them. It was kind of Texas, Nebraska, Iowa State in the classic Big 12 volleyball you know, pantheon. Those three schools kind of ran the league. Some thought that Iowa State was going to return to that, and I'm not saying that they aren't going to return to that, but obviously for Coach Lamb, he's got to be extremely excited about what he's seen out of the black and yellow in his first weekend. Well, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I'm sure a lot of programs are going to schedule some cupcake matches to get not the season Lambeau. started. That's not the way it happened with, uh, with Shocker Volleyball. You're getting thrown into the fire from day one. They don't one. play and at home until September 23rd. They have zero home non-conference games. Lambo, what are you doing? Hey, it's going to it's going to build character, right? I mean, you're you're going to you're going to be tested. There there's going to be adversity. You're going to be in unfriendly confines to start off the season <sighs> against quality opponents before you get to go back home uh and, and play in Wichita. And so I, I like that strategy. Might as well throw them into the fire right away and see what they're made of. I just uh, and it, they responded well, right? I mean, they, they responded well to start off the season. So I, I just and I know Chris Lamb. There's nobody who schedules smarter than Coach Lamb does, and I know that there's a reason. There's a reason behind everything that he does. I know if he were here, he'd say, "Oh, Blake, this is what we have to do. This is why we're trying to get these ranking points. We're trying to put." I got your back, just, Coach Lamb. I got so, your back. Don't but, worry. But I like I I just want. Don't you want Shocker fans to be able to see this team in Wichita before September 23rd? That's the only point that I'm making. And I know that they are playing in the Canvas in Kansas Invitational in Lawrence. That's a very drivable match for Shocker fans. They're playing at the Casey Roos Classic, Kansas City at the Swinney Center. Very drivable for Wichita State fans. But gosh, I'd just love to see them. And I know that he'd probably say, Blake, you know, if I could host something in Wichita, don't you think I probably would? And yes, Coach Lamb, I know that you probably would and they have before and I'm sure they will again but that's the only thing that I don't like what I do like right now is Sophia apparently not good enough to be all conference rolling because Natalie Foster hit 334 last year for the Shockers out of the middle. Casey Litzow trying to add her name to the list of great setters that Wichita State has had. And Chris Lamb or Coach Lamb said that he she is maybe the big reason why they improved last year. They've been dancing around two setters. It's definitely her job now. Lily Lickway is back on the back row, leading defensive player, 484 digs last year. Briley Kelly in the first weekend had 36 kills. Natalie Foster had 30. And oh, would you look at that? Sophia, not all conference rolling. And I say that with complete disdain to whoever voted. She hit 330 with 49 kills. 
isn't that interesting. Also had a block percent that like you. So I'm telling Sophia Rowling is a downhill volleyball player. There were times last year when I got to do PA to fill in for, you know, Ted, the sports head over there at Coke arena where teams could not stop her. That they just set Sophia, literally everybody watching on ESPN Plus, Mike Kennedy knew, I knew, if Shane Dennis was over there, he knew. Literally everybody in the world knew that Sophia Rowling was getting the ball, and the other team knew, and they couldn't stop it. When she gets on, there were periods of time last year, 15 to 20 minutes long, where she just annihilated the defense and was unstoppable. Lauren McMahon is averaging about a block and a half percent this year. Morgan Weber's been a do-it-all player, two digs percent, a point and a half percent. I, I believe that this is going to be a return to form for Shocker Volleyball. I think they're going to compete for a conference championship this year. I really do. I will be stunned. They were picked fourth. They got one first place vote. All the rest, I think, went to Central Florida. I will be stunned if they're not in the top three. I believe that they will finish in the top three. In fact, I'm going to pick them second this year. I think that they will beat the projections. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're much more fired up about Shocker Volleyball than I am. So I, gonna, you should be fired up. I'm not going to get in your way. I, I'm, I'm not, not that I'm not fired up, but... Um, I'm trying to fire you up. There you go. I'm so I'm, fired I'm not, up. I forgot to get a shave and a haircut for this show. I'm so fired up for this show. I'm not going to stand in your way. I no. like my dog. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. You do actually have a dog to like. Next up <laughs> is the Omaha Challenge, September 1st and 2nd. UNO in Northern Colorado mentioned the Kansas Invitational UNLV at, at KU. Roos Classic on the 10th at UMKC. Then they go to Dayton because why would we ever play a home match? Finally, the AAC opener. September 23rd against Temple in the AAC opener. It's been so long. I think that there's maybe just one more thing that we have to do on the show to wrap things up today. Yep, that's right. It is time to bring it back and hit the music as we go around Wichita, the Wichita Whip Around, a story that you probably missed from the Wichita area in sports. Tommy, what is your whip around here for episode number 101, our first show of season for the Cog Pod? Uh, well, I'm biased because obviously my full-time job is with the Wichita Thunder. So I would be remiss to not mention a brand new NHL affiliate for the Wichita Thunder. Uh, signed a deal last week to be the affiliate of the San Jose Sharks of the NHL and the San Jose Barracuda of the American Hockey League. The Thunder had been with the Edmonton Oilers in the NHL uh, in the Bakerfield Condors uh, for the last five years. Uh, that affiliation ended this summer, and it took about a month or so to find a new affiliate, and, and there were talks with multiple organizations around the NHL. And ultimately, the San Jose Sharks were the team that uh, ended up coming to the come, rising to the top, if if you will. And so uh, that's the new affiliate for the Thunder. The season starts in October, and and ultimately, my understanding of what that looks like, you want to have a mutually beneficial relationship with your NHL team. It's a little bit different than what we see in baseball with major league teams and minor league teams, and sort of the way that that all pans out and the the developmental farm system. There's some of that, but it's not as in-depth in hockey as it is in baseball. Uh, so the the goal would be to have a mutually beneficial relationship with San Jose and have some players. What was the relationship like with the Oilers from the Thunder perspective? It was it wasn't it wasn't there. Like it wasn't mutual as much, I think, as 
the Thunder would have liked. There were players that were being called up to Bakersfield in the AAA um, American Hockey League, and then a handful of Thunder players went on to play for Edmonton. Uh, Stuart Skinner is probably the most notable guy that spent quite a bit of time in Wichita and now plays for for Edmonton. Um, But there wasn't a whole lot of players coming back to Wichita. Uh, and, and the teams that are most successful in the ECHL uh, are typically the teams that have a pretty strong mutual relationship with their NHL affiliate. Um, I think of the Utah Grizzlies, who are really, really good in the ECHL. They're super close with the Colorado Avalanche, uh, the, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Then you've got... Um, Newfoundland, they have a close relationship with the Toronto Maple Leafs and they share players back and forth. So those are the teams that typically have the most success. Um, that's not always realistic with every every single franchise, um, but I think it's important to have more of a mutually beneficial sure. relationship than what there was in the past. I'm going to also be very biased, Tommy, and I'm going to go to the Newman University Jets their volleyball team is off to a tremendous start. Three and one in the coach Marisa Compton era. She comes from Neosho County Community College, where she led the Panthers to two top four finishes in the Jayhawk Conference and one NJCAA tournament berth. In fact, they were ranked as high as number eight in the country while she was there. The Jets were picked dead last in the MIAA, 11th out of 11. Well, after dropping a match to Northwestern Oklahoma State, Jets come back with a four-set win over Truman State. Jets in their season opening matches in their event last week picked up a sweep over Southwestern Oklahoma State and a five-set win over William Jewell. This is a team that last year under Coach Lugo, and they returned the vast majority of the sets played, a vast majority of the matches played, vast majority of every statistical category that could return except for blocks. No Amani Jones, no Jada Key. But if you want to look at attack percentage, kills, aces, digs, and everything except for assists, Jenna Devore is gone. They've got everybody back. And the setter apparent played last year. She only didn't play because of an injury. They were going to run two setters and had to not do that because of an injury to Mackenzie Weaver. So I don't know what got into the MIAA coaches to look at this team and say, oh yeah, they're the worst team, even though they beat the brains out of Emporia State last year and beat Missouri Southern handily. I think this is going to be a team that is going to way outperform. Home opener for NU is Tuesday, November, or beg your pardon, September 6th against Drury. They're back in action this weekend for another event playing four teams, a couple of GAC teams, a couple of Lone Star Conference teams, including an old Heartland Conference rival in St. Edwards. That's in Shawnee, Oklahoma, hosted by Oklahoma Baptist this weekend. And I'm going to be covering all those games on the Newman Jets Audio Network. We just announced that today, every home match at newmanjets.com slash listen. So I'm excited about that. Hey, I got to plug one thing of me. One thing. I got one (laughs) thing in, guys. Let's go. Here we go, guys. Get excited. Uh, It's been a while, so I'm assuming we probably have a couple of additions, corrections, and retractions. Do you have any today? I do, and um, I I think this is going to be a correction. Not that you got something wrong necessarily, but just that I'm offended that you said something. And at the very very beginning of the show, I I caught that you said this, and I wanted to make sure that um, your opinions do not reflect mine. Uh, when you were talking about the preview for the show and you mentioned Kansas and Kansas state, and you referred to them as the only football programs in Kansas that matter, um, which is 
kind of bizarre because there are quite a few other programs that I, have already played and I, some of Mid some of Division note, one some oh of some some of note like for instance Butler Community College yeah taking down I realize am I double a number seven ranked Garden City final score 35 28 the first game under new head coach Bryce Vignery got his debut in after 13 seasons as assistant coach Hutch Juco they uh, knocked down the Navarro uh, in Texas, 42, nothing. The blue dragons are third in America and the NJC And then Terry Harrison started off his uh, era at friends university with a win over panhandle state university in Oklahoma, 31, 14. Of course, Harrison was at Bethel for a few years before that was the coach at Heights high school for a few years as well. Now trying to turn around that friends program and got a win. And in fact, it was, I believe the first like road win or something for friends in been a like while three years time. or something. It had been a long time. It was the first road win since September 19th, 2020 uh, for friends. And so that's a great start to the Terry Harrison era. So I'm sure they would all be offended like I am. Sure. That you oh, referred yeah. to Kansas and Kansas well, state as the only football that matters in this state. Okay. Yeah. The division one is what I meant. And the don't obviously don't want any Derby or Bishop Carroll fans or Cape and Mount Carmel fans or Wichita Northwest fans to write it. Keeping the you show. honest. I'm holding your feet to the fire. That's what I do on this show. Well, let me make it up to you, especially, especially because I'm so proud of you for bringing up friends football for you. Congrats. Thank you so much for that. I, I, everybody is cheering that you are so in favor and so supportive of friends football. I know that they're your favorite team, but let's not go um, too far. Three KCAC teams. However, they were, uh, ranked in the preseason and, Kansas Wesleyan, number 12. You mentioned Bethel preseason number 23. And I think the big question, as you just mentioned, is Bethel still a top team now that Coach Harrison is gone? But how about your Southwestern Mound Builders, number eight in the country preseason? Let's go. Pick to win the league with K-Dub. I can't believe you didn't mention that. Love it. I mean, you know, they're they're going to defend their, their KCAC title from last year. Um yeah, uh, trying to repeat. That's that's awesome. Way to go, Southwestern. So that is my addition, correction, and retraction. Obviously, hey, sports betting is legal in Kansas. Yeah, yeah. we were gone while that one, happened. I have if you got another one, go for it. Yeah. Really quickly, uh, Wichita State basketball secured the commitment to Makai Miles, who is a three-star recruit out of Starkville, Mississippi. A lot of people did not have him going to Wichita State. Uh, a lot of pundits believed that he would be going to his hometown, Mississippi State. And by the way, head coach is Chris Jans, formerly at Wichita State. He's the head mm. coach for the Bulldogs now. But a lot of people thought he would either go to Mississippi State or Ole Miss. He also held offers from, I believe, Creighton and Missouri, I think, were other teams that he held. I don't exactly. A couple other teams in the Midwest he sure. held offers to. But he took an official visit last weekend and committed to Isaac Brown. That's a big get. The first commitment in the class of 2023 and definitely shows that Isaac Brown is is looking ahead, forward thinking, and can use this three-star recruit as the linchpin of his 2023 class. Not here to play around. And neither were we. Heck of a show for us to come back after the summer vacation. We are going to be back on for season four 
once again, we announced it today, starting it today, committed all the way through next basketball season unless something dramatic happens. That is the plan. We will be with you all the way through March Madness and even up into opening day of Royals baseball. Now, if the Royals just stink again, I can't guarantee that I'm going to want to talk about the Royals next August. If the Royals had been anything other than just absolutely, utterly god-awful, maybe we would have done some, some hey, shows in August. I, I have Royals to are mention, so bad. I have to mention. What is there to say? I went to uh, the Royals game last Monday. Um, it was that Monday afternoon makeup game against the White Sox. You and like four um, other people? Yeah, so it, that's the first Royals game I've been to and probably well, since before COVID. Sure. It's been probably three years since I've been to a Royals game. Uh, and I I mean, the Royals won, so that was good. But I had the honor of being in a record-breaking crowd. It was the smallest crowd at Kauffman Stadium <laughs> since 1995, officially. Wow. Like, I think they announced 7,000 people there. There were not 7,000 people there. There were 7, maybe 3,000. There, were there, there were maybe 3,000 people there. There was nobody oh at that game. Gosh. It was like, I mean, a Monday afternoon makeup game in August when kids are already back in school and for a team that is way out of contention. Like, you can't expect that anybody's going to go to that game. Yeah, I watched but the I, game I went. On, on a Bally Sports. They are begging people to go. They're like, no yeah. fees, free concessions. Like, yeah, you guys should do this. Did you see the crap so that they I'm made? Just, I'm happy that I had a chance to be a part of a like a record-setting <laughs> record crowd. crowd. Good for you. For me. Yeah. Good for you. You were one of the diehard 3,000 that watched the Royals play that game. Uh, so we are going to be back in a couple of weeks, every other week from here on out. So we will be with you through. Uh, see, about that time, it's going to be pretty close to, yeah, week one of uh, NFL. We will have that to talk about. We'll have the first Chiefs game. Of course, we'll have the first couple of Jayhawk and Wildcat games under our belt at that point for the 2022 season. We'll keep an eye on Wichita State Volleyball. Of course, all the high school football, which will be getting started. We'll keep you up to date on all of that coming up here in the next few weeks. Football is back, and I may not miss it when it's gone, but I sure as hell am glad that it is back for 2022. So we'll see you for episode 102 in a couple of weeks. Once again, like, share, and subscribe to the show. Really appreciate it. We're at cogsports.com, facebook.com slash games. Watch the videos on YouTube, and the audio is pretty much everywhere. Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, many other platforms, including Stitcher. Get the audio, share the audio, really appreciate it. And we're at CogPod on Twitter if you'd like to interact with us. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, where can they find you on Twitter these days? You can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B-E-Crips, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S. We'll see you for episode 102 in a couple of weeks on The Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K 